Well, good morning, and we're delighted you're able to join us this morning as we start our new series on the fourth book of the Psalms, the fourth volume of the book of Psalms. Let's read Psalm 90 together. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death, They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years, or eighty if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning, with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us, as, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of, our Lord, of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This psalm was selected to start the fourth volume of the book of Psalms. And this first psalm was written by Moses, the man of God. So before we look at the psalm itself, uh, let's briefly remind ourselves of the timeline of the life of the author, Moses. The life of Moses consisted of three stages. Each stage was exactly 40 years For the first 40 years, Moses lived in the palace in Egypt, uh, where he may possibly have been being groomed to be the next pharaoh. But when Moses, at the age of 40, tried in his own way to deliver the Israelites, his plan backfired and he had to flee Egypt. For the second 40 years, Moses then lived in the desert. He ended up looking after sheep in a hot and arid desert. But the third 40 years was when Moses returned to Egypt after being called by God. He brought Israel out of Egypt and he led them for 40 years on that famous journey through the wilderness to the border of the promised land. So now let's consider the psalm itself. I wonder what impression you got as we read this psalm. It is a rather sad and melancholy tone. The writer still trusts in God, yes, but there is no sense of fulfillment after a life well lived. There is almost a sense of futility 
about human existence. Now, most commentators who believe that it was written by Moses uh, envisage Moses at the end of his life on the plains of Moab overlooking the promised land and looking back over Israel's difficult journey through the desert. The commentators usually summarize the message of the psalm in this way. Firstly, Moses sees that God is eternal. In verse 2, he is from everlasting to everlasting. But then, in marked contrast, human life is very transient. And thirdly, the application that we are given is that we should just face up to the fact of the transient of our life. We should be philosophical and resign ourselves to the brevity of human life and realize that we are not permanent. And we should try to take some comfort, uh, to take what comfort we can from the fact that God is eternal. Now, of course, it is true that compared with God, our lives are fleeting. And some people may find comfort in the fact that unlike us, God is eternal. But personally, that contrast doesn't do much for me in the way of comfort. It only depresses me. So is it possible that the commentators have missed the real point of the psalm? I say this in trepidation, but I'm sure the commentators are well-meaning godly men, and I hope they're not only godly, but also forgiving, because I'm going to suggest this morning, another interpretation of the psalm that leads us to a much more encouraging and even exciting message for us rather than a fatalistic acceptance of the brevity of life. Mind you, if in heaven you should notice me being mugged by a group of respected Christian authors, then you will know that they were not as forgiving as I had hoped. And if you see a couple of angels standing by holding their coats, well, you know I got it wrong this morning. So let's look at the actual text. First, let's notice that Psalm 90 has a reasonably clear structure. It falls into four sections, each section having its own subject. Verses 1 and 2 tell us, as we've seen, that God is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Then in verses 3 to 6, we have the contrast where the writer dwells on the brevity and transience of human existence and his own existence. He says our life is like a one-day wonder. In the morning of youth, it flourishes, but by the evening, it has faded and withered. Then in verses 7 to 12, the writer tries to understand why life turns out this way. Now, I know he uses we rather than I, but he seems to be analyzing his own life rather than everyone's. So why was the latter part of his life such a failure? The writer's explanation is that because of sin earlier in his life, God's wrath is upon him. Verses 8 and 9 say, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath, We finish our years with a moan. And then in verses 13 to 17, the last section, the writer makes a number of prayer requests. I made it seven. These are cries from the heart from a rather depressed servant 
of God. So to try to discover the meaning of this psalm, let's start by investigating a simple question. What age was Moses when he wrote this psalm? In particular, are there any clues in the text to help us answer this question? Well, let me rephrase the question a little like this. What was the writer's belief about the life expectancy of a human being? And let me point you to verse 10. Because when it comes to putting an upper limit on the lifespan of humans, the first thought to come to the writer's mind is 70 years. The years of our life are 70, the traditional three score years and 10. That's the limit, the writer thinks. Everyone dies by the time they reach 70. But then something causes him to pause and to observe that there is an exception for a small number of people. For he adds, or even by reason of strength, 80. But 80 is the absolute limit. There's no exceptions to this in the writer's experience. The writer has seen no one live beyond 80. Now, what can we deduce from this verse? Well, firstly, the very oldest the writer could have been was 80 years old. That's the first deduction which I think we could make from this. It seems to me that that statement would have not so much credibility if it came from the lips of a man aged 120. Now, can we narrow it down any more? I think we can. That's where the exception in verse 10 is important. Having said that 70 was his first upper limit, what caused him to pause and to add an exception, exception, and extend the limit. I think there was a personal reason for it. It seems to me that the writer himself was the exception. He had passed 70, and he was still alive. He was still strong. So although he had expected to live only to 70, he was now living in a bit of extra time because of his natural strength. But now he was certain that 80 is the upper limit. No exceptions to that limit. So can we narrow his age down to between 70 and 80? Or can we even do better than that? I think so. It's interesting that he doesn't say, by reason of strength, 75. Once he had passed the age of 70, he was in uncharted territory. He could not assume he would have as much as another 10 years. It would have been one year at a time. Each birthday after 70, he expected to be his last. So the only reason he could have known that it was possible to live until you were 80 rather than, say, 75, was that he himself had reached 80 and he was still alive. And for that reason, he expected to die soon, certainly within the year, but perhaps in a matter of weeks or even days. So here we have a man who believes he has reached the last days of his life at the age of 80. He is looking back with a certain sadness at his life. What does he see? He sees how little he has achieved. He had established nothing of note. He feels his life had not turned out to be as significant as he had hoped for. And why was that? Well, the third section of the psalm in verses 7 to 12 give us his explanation. 
He puts the failure of his life down to his past sin and iniquity and to God's wrath upon him because of his sin. Can you hear his sadness and his hopelessness and a sense of failure in verses 7 to 9? We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. But now, let's remember who the writer is, Moses. And let's plug these deductions into our timeline for the life of Moses. For the first 40 years of Moses' life, he knew he was being prepared for a divine mission. He had been cleverly placed into the Egyptian royal family, but he was brought up by his own mother, who would have told him of his true Hebrew roots and planted into him a sense of his destiny, that he was destined to play a crucial role in God's plans for his people. And at the age of 40, Moses felt the time was right for him to start fulfilling his destiny. So he stepped onto the stage, but his well-meaning attempt proved to be a disaster. He killed an Egyptian. He was rejected by his own Hebrew people, and he had to flee Egypt. He had not only committed murder, but he had wrecked God's carefully prepared plan to deliver the Hebrew people. And for the next 40 years, Moses lived in a physical and spiritual wilderness. He lived with the constant regret and despair of having dealt such a blow to God's plans. He thought of how the Israelites in Egypt were suffering because he had failed. He could well imagine how angry God was with him because of his sin. And Moses saw how the burning heat of the desert sun, it consumed the morning grass, and he saw that as a picture of God's wrath upon him. He felt his life was being consumed by God's anger. Soon there would only be ashes left. But after pouring out to God how he interpreted all the suffering in his life, with his failures and wrong decisions, Moses ends the psalm with seven prayer requests. And it's the middle one of these seven requests in verse 15, which is the most significant for us. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. Moses doesn't have enough hope to make this a personal request for himself. So he uses we, hoping that God will show his kindness to his people who were still suffering back in Egypt. But notice that this request is very specific. It's not just asking God to make him and his people happy again. It's actually a very significant and specific request. We know now that God interpreted this prayer from the heart of Moses as a personal prayer. And we know that God answered this prayer in the life of Moses, literally, to the exact year. Moses had been afflicted in the desert for 40 years. And God gave him another 40 years, from 80 to 120, the same number of years in which he had been afflicted after leaving Egypt. God was going to allow Moses' life to have an eternal significance, which he never dared to dream of. 
God did literally make Moses glad for as many years as he had been afflicted. Although we don't get that from Psalm 90. We get it from Exodus. So now, as we finish, let's go back and imagine Moses at his base camp at the age of 80 in the desert, having just finished writing this psalm. He feels he has perhaps only a few weeks to live, and he thinks to himself, I will make one more round trip of the desert that I have known for the last 40 years, and then I will say goodbye to this world. So he takes his sheep and goes as far as he could. The fairest point in his route brings him to a strange and forbidding mountain, which at some point became known as the Mountain of God. In the shimmering heat of the desert sun, he sees a common sight. On that mountain, he sees a bush which seemed to have burst into flames because of the intense heat. When Moses first saw it, he saw that bush as the story of his own life, a bush that in its youth had life and great potential, but now was being consumed by the anger of God. It was just as he had written in verse 7, we are consumed by your anger. He felt his own life would end the same way as that bush would, as a pile of ashes with nothing to show for it. No abiding work, no established work to give his life significance. But as Moses continued on his way round the mountain, he noticed something strange. The bush was still burning. That should not have happened. The fire was not actually consuming the bush. What sort of fire was this? This fire wasn't like burning anger. I wonder, did a flicker of hope start to rise in the heart of Moses? He had interpreted his own experience in life in the last 40 years as God's burning anger, which consumed him. But now he felt alive. He felt strong. He didn't feel that he was about to die. He didn't feel consumed. So with a hint of hope and even excitement in his heart, he approached the bush and the strange fire. And from the bush, he heard the voice of God himself calling to Moses personally. Moses, Moses, God called. And the rest, as we say, is history. The book of Exodus takes over from where Psalm 90 left off. Psalm 90 does not tell us the complete story. Psalm 90 is like the darkest hour, the darkest hour before the dawn of Exodus chapter 3. But Psalm 90 is an amazing and honest insight into the heart of a believer at the lowest point of their lives, just before God steps in. It's an insight into the heart of a believer who has lost their way in life through their own sin, who feels they have wasted their life for God. Perhaps someone listening here feels they have wasted their life for God. They started off their life, their Christian life, with ambitions to serve the Lord and be used for God. But at some point in your life, you made a bad decision. Perhaps a sinful moral choice, or a marriage choice, or a career choice, where you put God's will out of your mind, and for one selfish moment, you willfully chose your own way. Now, you haven't lost your faith. 
You still worship God. You maybe still attend church. But your hopes of achieving something of eternal significance have gone. You live your life in phys- uh, philosophical resignation rather than in hope. Perhaps this morning you're hearing the voice of the Lord attracting your attention just as he attracted Moses through the burning bush. And perhaps even through those words which we heard earlier this morning as we remembered the Lord, that gracious call of the Lord Jesus, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord Jesus is a master at renewing the inner fire of those who have gone astray. It is never too late to hand our lives back to the Lord and to ask him to let us do something for him which will last for all eternity. On the other hand, there are many of us who may not have been living in a spiritual desert. We have been serving the Lord quietly. We may even be well into the second 40 years of our lives. But we still have a desire to do more for the Lord than it would be possible to do in the rest of our lives. We can't expect the Lord to extend our physical, our actual physical lifetime by another 40 years beyond our 80th birthday. But the Lord has planned something much greater than that for us. We have the hope of an even greater and more vibrant life with the Lord after we die. This was something the Old Testament saints only got the occasional glimpse of. But with the coming of the Lord Jesus, we have a much fuller revelation and hope of a life for all eternity with the Lord. Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. And in the life to come, there will be huge opportunities to achieve things which go far beyond anything we could do with the limitations of this troubled life on earth. So we do not need to mourn philosophically about the vast contrast between an eternal God who is from everlasting to everlasting on the one hand and the fleeting, frustrating, and insignificant of human life. Those who have eternal life in Christ have the assurance of a future life which is is as eternal as God himself. We have a hope that Moses did not have as he wrote Psalm 90, although he discovered it in the new phase of his life which God gave him shortly after that. May God use his word to encourage us in this life and to inspire us also to live the remainder of our lives in the light of the even greater world to come. Let's just finish our time together with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, We thank you that you have always been a God who takes people from rock bottom, rejuvenates them, gives them new hope in life. We know that for many of us in our lives, we have experienced that same rejuvenating experience of being in a dark place, but discovering there that God is right with us. We pray that the experience that Moses records in this psalm and which the book of Exodus subsequently reveals might inspire us to give our lives back to you and to live our lives in light of that great world of opportunity, the world to come. In Jesus' name.
Amen.